And it's time for the New Hampshire News Recap. Let's get into this week's top headlines. New Hampshire has the highest rate per capita of COVID-19 infections in the country. Governor Chris Nunu announcing the state is bringing in FEMA and the National Guard to help health care facilities, which are struggling with a labor shortage while cases and hospitalizations are at an all-time high. Joining me now to talk about that and more is New Hampshire Bulletin reporter Anne-Marie Timmons and NHPR's Todd Bookman. Both are uh, coming to us via Zoom this morning. Good morning to both of you. Good morning, Rick. Thank you both for uh, getting up early and talking with us today. So, Todd, this week, the New York Times reported that we now have the nation's highest per capita rate of COVID-19 cases. How did we get there? Slowly and then and then seemingly all of a sudden, um, I, I just looked at the NHPR COVID tracker and the state was averaging about 20 to 25 cases per day in June. Uh, by October, it was around 150 cases per day. And now two months later, it's it's 10 times that. Uh, yesterday alone, we had 1,500 more cases reported. And as you said, on a per capita basis over the last two weeks, that is the highest rate in the country. Um, we've seen hospitalizations spike. Uh, I believe the number from yesterday was around 475 COVID-19 patients are currently hospitalized. And and even at the, the height of the previous peak last winter, uh, that number never got higher than about 320 or so. Right. Even the, we're and, talking about pre-vaccines, it didn't get that high. Correct, correct. All this is happening at a time when vaccines now are readily available. Booster shots are are getting a lot easier to find. Do we know why, Todd? Well, um, the the governor spent a significant amount of time during this week's press conference pointing at a map of case rates across the country, sort of highlighting how New Hampshire is not unique right now. Uh, Yes, the state has the highest rate, but if you look across New England and the upper Midwest, the the, the kind of states with colder weather, uh, more people likely hanging out indoors, that's a leading cause, although case rates are also high in Arizona and, and New Mexico. Uh, you know, this this is happening uh, in New England. Rhode Island is in the midst of a spike uh, and Vermont, you know, often held up as, as the gold standard for COVID response. I think Rhode Island and Vermont actually have the two highest rates of vaccinations in, in the country. Uh, but the Delta variant just seems to be sort of overwhelming, uh, uh, you know, even modest prevention me- uh, methods right. in, in place. And, yeah. um and the numbers are high. Anne-Marie, I know you listened to the governor's weekly COVID-19 press conference Wednesday. He announced that he's calling up the National Guard and that medical surge teams from FEMA are coming to New Hampshire as soon as this weekend. You know, what's what's the uh, what, what's the need there and how are they going to be deployed? They will, that's, that's right. There'll be National Guard folks coming for back end work. And so it's very intentionally not medical to avoid pulling them from other medical sites in the state. So it'll be back-end folks working in dietary or janitorial or clerical work. You know, it's equally important to keeping hospitals going. And then in addition, FEMA will be sending uh, two different kinds of teams. The 24 folks coming to Elliott this weekend will be healthcare folks, like doctors, nurses, assistants, and that will allow them to open up a wing. They have space at Elliott. They just don't have people to staff it. So that'll let them open up a wing and then bring in patients from other parts of the state because there's no room really anywhere. And in addition to that, there'll be about 30 paramedics arriving over the next couple of weeks, and they will be dispatched to emergency rooms where there's just, you know, 80 people or more waiting sometimes for for base, for care and then to get into a room. So there's really staff reinforcements to open up more space and take burden off the emergency room staff that hospitals do have. 
Todd, how's the governor talking about this new phase in the pandemic? Uh, you know, he he has stressed that that state officials knew that this was coming. He's been talking about that for several weeks now that this winter surge, you know, was on the horizon. Um, I think his critics would point out that that if they knew that this was coming, then then maybe the state wasn't as prepared uh, as it as it should have been. Um, but but again, I, you know, the, the governor's messaging on vaccines has been clear throughout the pandemic that that is something he continues to encourage very strongly, but he will not uh, touch mandates. That that is something he says he opposes. And then we also heard the governor again reiterate that he doesn't believe that a mask mandate, an indoor mask mandate, uh, is appropriate at this time. He he basically said it would be punishing. Uh, you know, in some ways, it, it punishes people who are being. Uh, I don't know if responsible is the right word, but but folks who are taking this seriously and who have been vaccinated and talked about other restrictions that we saw during the first phase of the pandemic, such as, you know, limitations on restaurants or anything like that. You know, he, he's just not going to go there. He says it's, um, uh, you know, too, too um, it'd just be too impactful on businesses. There's there's clearly no talk of shutdowns at, at schools. Uh, n- nobody really wants to go back to, to that phase of the pandemic either. I know once healthcare facilities started mandating vaccinations, there was a lot of concern that staff would quit, a lot of pushback. Uh, I don't know how we can, you know, determine if that is affecting the staffing that's happening around the state now at various healthcare facilities. Anne Marie, are we seeing that happen right now? Is is that contributing to the labor shortage at all? We are. I mean, we have definitely lost folks who feel they do not want to get mandated and have left their jobs. What I am hearing is that is not what's driving the staff shortage. It's the burnout that people are feeling. You know, they're going on two years now of, you know, endless waits in ERs, beds that they can't turn over, people they can't help. And so they've become very frustrated and burned out and unable to sustain it. So they're leaving healthcare. Um, hospital leaders are saying they're leaving because of burnout. And when I talk to different hospitals that do have their own mandates, they're reaching, you know, St. Joe's um, hospital reached 100%, 100% of its staff uh, got vaccinated, no one left. Genesis Healthcare, which has long-term facilities across the state, uh, saw the same thing. Dartmouth-Hitchcock, 13,000 employees, 99%. Uh, agreed to the mandate. We've seen this across the state. So I think it's it's hard to argue that the mandate is driving this workforce shortage. I think it is easy to imagine that it is burnout. And what, I wrote a story about this week, this week about this issue, and <clears throat> it received more interest from the medical community than I had seen saying, finally, yes, this is this is what is hurting our workforce. So I think it's a narrative that we have to change a bit because it doesn't feel to me like it is the mandate. This is Morning Edition on NHPR. We are recapping this week's news with NHPR's Todd Bookin and Anne-Marie Timmons from the New Hampshire Bulletin. By the way, you can let us know about your thoughts and questions on the New Hampshire News Recap by sending us an email anytime to voices at NHPR. Org. So, Anne-Marie, let me follow up with you about FEMA and the National Guard and, and traveling nurses with all of those added hands basically patching up the workforce problem. You know, is, is that really going to is that going to get us through the surge? I think if, if all goes as well, it sounds to be quite promising because they there is space in the state to care for people. It's there's just not staff. So that's going to bring in you know, a large amount of staff, and there's some other efforts underway to bring in additional folks from out of state. So I do think that'll be helpful. 
when I talk with hospital leaders and medical f- people uh, about this, what I hear them say, two other things are needed. We need your patients. I think um, patients are coming to the hospital and with a very short supply of patients. Um, it's frustrating. It's long waits. The people on the front line in the emergency room are taking that on. So they really want people to understand that this is hard for everyone. That's one thing I hear. The other thing I hear is what we really need is people to get vaccinated. I think we've heard healthcare people throughout this say, please get vaccinated. Be good if you could get vaccinated. It's good for you. This week, I heard that tone change to real frustration, bordering on anger, really. You know, Dartmouth-Hitchcock health team held a webinar and they just said this needs to stop. What they see as misinformation about the vaccine needs to stop. And you need to understand that this is not a COVID issue at this point. This is a healthcare crisis for everyone because you may be sent to Albany if you're having if you're a stroke victim because there's no beds for you in New Hampshire. So staff, it definitely is the first step, but I think those other two pieces are really where healthcare sees uh, a big need as well. Todd, what about you? What are you hearing in your reporting as far as, as, as some stories that are coming out of, of healthcare right now? Yeah, so I interviewed the head of um, Maplewood Nursing Home in Westmoreland this week. Uh, Maplewood is a, is a county-run facility. You could consider it kind of a safety net facility. Uh, it is. Uh, it just underwent this major renovation it's got 150 beds. It's this sort of sparkling new facility. And yet right now it only has 95 people living there because there just aren't the staff. And so just uh, this month, they've been forced to shut down an entire floor of this nursing home. So you, you, you've you got this, this uh, sort of mismatch, this bottleneck right now where you've got all these patients in need, but we just don't have the staff in, in the state of New Hampshire to care for them. You know, traveling nurses, traveling medical professionals is one short-term solution, but the head of Maplewood told me, you know, everybody is now competing for these, um, for these healthcare workers. These healthcare workers from out of state are extremely expensive, two to $300 per hour. And it's just not really a long-term solution at, at this point. So you've got just this complete sort of mismatch um, mm-hmm. and and no no easy fix in, in the long term for, for it. Well, we'll be uh, keeping up with the reporting, of course, on what's happening with the healthcare system across New Hampshire, and we'll hear more about it, of course, on next week's uh, Friday News Recap. But I do want to take just a moment uh, to look ahead to the new year. Uh, a law banning abortion after 24 weeks will take effect in January, just a few weeks away. Anne-Marie, how are reproductive health care providers preparing for that change? They've already, of course, started putting some procedures in place. Uh, one thing that will, you know, is required of all abortions at any stage now will be a mandated ultrasound. Um, and that's both kind of over the belly ultrasound that you see in the movies, but also uh, a transvaginal ultrasound. And so they need to be able to provide those to all patients coming in. Some providers do that anyway, but those who have do not do that now have to add that into their medical care. And that's also, you know, an expense for their patients. So they've had to prepare that medical side of it, but it's also caused them to have to adjust some of their funding that they can provide to patients because now that's a new expense for them as well. So they're trying to care for patients, make sure they can care for as many patients given the uh, increase in costs that um, they're going to see. They are um, aware that at 24 weeks, if you provide an abortion after that, that you are eligible for 
three and a half to seven years in prison if you violate that law. There's a fine, there's a $10,000 to $100,000 fine for violating that. And um, there also is a chance of civil penalties. And when I talked with providers, that was one concern I heard more than the criminal penalties. Um, because in this state, honestly, we do not do abortions at that stage, you know, maybe ever, providers said. It's just, it's beyond what we do. But the fear of civil penalties, which is a father of a child, if married to the mother, can bring a civil suit um, in an abortion case after 24 weeks. But there's a concern that that this will could be in a harassment lawsuits that will come up before that and that they will be brought into court. So they're very much on guard about, you know, what's going to happen both for our patients, but then in the courts as well, you know, aside from the criminal penalties, which they're less right. worried about, but the civil action, you know, we've seen it could have a chilling country. effect. Absolutely. Right. And yeah. are, will there be bounties, so to speak, like we've seen elsewhere um, like in to Texas. bring these lawsuits? Yeah. 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 Well, we're going to have to leave it at there. Uh, Anne-Marie and Todd, thank you so much for, for uh, talking with us today on the New Hampshire News Recap. New Hampshire Bulletin Senior Reporter Anne-Marie Timmons and NHPR's Senior Reporter Todd Bookman. And uh, you can find their work, by the way, and all their stories that we talked about at NHPR.org and NewHampshireBulletin.com. Thanks to you both. Thank you, Rick. This is Morning Edition from NHPR.